Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. Hey, Bruce. How's it going? <laughs> it's going. Um, we got a lot of stuff uh, to talk about. Uh, obviously, the big uh, event coming up is we've got each of the G3 central banks uh, meeting next week. Uh, we got the Fed, the ECB, and the BOJ. Uh, so the the decision making becomes quite important as well as the guidance. Uh, and then we have, I think, a number of interesting issues, which we've been touching on that we can continue to talk about with regard to the data. I don't think there was any uh, significant new data this week to kind of change the, the debate on that front. But we continue to think about issues related to the gaps between manufacturing and services, what's happening to sentiment in the business sector. And maybe we'll start there because we'll get into the central banks and we'll get we'll get certainly uh, uh, mired down in a lot there. But let's talk first off and maybe the two things that strike me in terms of uh, concern right now is the idea that our, our CapEx now model is starting to look like it's stalling as we move into mid-year. And that's being accompanied by a fall off in manufacturing sentiment in the month of May. Now that's coming together with what is still very solid overall growth indicators for the first half of the year. Um, but you know, the question we've been kind of debating a bit is, does this signal something more pernicious that could start to broaden out and begin to challenge our forecast of, of a still uh, you know, decent global expansion as we move into the third quarter? How, how, how are you reading it? How much concern do you have? Well, I, you know, I think you're always going to take your lead from the final demand side of things, and and the final demand side has the consumer and the and the capex side. And you're and you're right, the capex side does look like a stalling. I think you could even you and I have been debating this 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 morning and afternoon. Like you could even look at the retail sales numbers and the consumer goods spending and say there's some softening there. You had a very strong start to the year. Things got weak. In the U.S., things look like they popped up in April, and by the way, and they did pop up in April. I don't, and but yeah, we, we will get a they get we'll get a solid reading next week from retail sales. We're looking for I think five tenths on control. Our card data is pointing to something similar to that. So I think the U.S. consumer goods is looking fine, but I think when you go outside that, it's 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 kind of bad, right? It's it's not looking great. You couple it with the the business investment, which is looking soft. And I'm worried a little bit. I I still think the driver of growth will be the fundamental determinants, which is going to be labor income is going to be a big part. And we still see hiring, which is doing pretty darn well. And wait, let me let me stop you there. I'm I'm with you, and I think that is important. Well, effectively, that's what's reflecting the um the strength in services, which has got you know, both a pandemic recovery story as well as the solid underpinning in terms of consumer fundamentals. I, I'm with you there, and I'm not perhaps as concerned about the one or two month uh, dynamics on retail spending. I think that's going to be there. Okay, what I'm worried about is in a world of, um, you know, tightening credit, uh, in a world of business sentiment weakening, that something broadens out it's not going to hit you in the second quarter because, as you say, labor income is is solid here. But something that three to six months from now has broadened out and does start to hit the labor so income that, story. That is the risk. That that's the risk. That's very prospective. I I think there's an alternative narrative that's more 
positive, and I, you know, I, I'm open-minded right now to, to both, but that alternative narrative is simply that, hey, you know, business uh, sentiment got pretty depressed in a world where we had a, you know, or at least a close to a full-blown banking crisis, or at least fear of a full-blown banking crisis. We didn't think one was happening, but certainly you read the headlines there was, and if you're a business answering surveys about sentiment, you're probably scared about that. You had a debt ceiling, uh, you know, debate, and that got us pretty close to the edge yet again. And uh, you know, all these things I think you were tail risk events. You both of those have have faded, and I think that should make you feel better about uh, things. And maybe as we move over the next couple months here, if the consumer is 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 holding up, you know, I think businesses could turn the corner. But uh, you know, again, that's getting more into the prospective part of the forecast. So I think this is a good prelude to talking about central banks, because certainly some of this is yeah. going to be on their minds. But before yep. we turn to that, let's just fill out the uh, the data flow. Um, you know, let's just talk a word for a moment about inflation. There's definitely moving parts on the inflation side. And we certainly think the overall trajectory on inflation for the rest of the year is probably downward. But boy, it does not feel like it's moving in a way that any central bank should feel all not that comfortable all. about. So, yeah, not at all. I mean, next in and next week's core or inflation report in the U.S. for May, which the Fed will have, you know, at their as they're deciding, we're looking for another four tenths reading on on core. That that'll keep your three month run rate at five percent. That's almost a percentage point faster than where we ended last year on a three month run rate basis. So, um, you know, I don't know how you get you know, feel too good about that and the pause that we think we're going to do. It will, if they do, we think it'll be a hawkish pause. And we'll talk well, about let's that. Let's get in into that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, inflation's running hot and it's not just there. I think it's, it's everywhere. You are seeing, you know, some food inflation is coming off. That's important for the EM. Um, I think you are seeing core goods inflation, at least in the EM come off. The DM has been a little confusing and not really coming off as much as we had hoped. But service inflation everywhere, core service inflation everywhere is just looking too sticky. And I think that's that really, you've got the risks around the outlook, the growth stuff we just talked about and the concerns against a backdrop of inflation that is just not coming down as we had thought. And that is inflation the, the, is just too damn high still exactly it's, it's so now high. inflation is too damn high and we got a fed that looks like it's gonna pause um not by any means with a committee that's uh um going to be uh accepting it not even necessarily with a majority of the committee accepting it but i think Powell's gonna uh put his foot down and say this is a time to take a um a break so Give me your perspective on that, and then I'll jump in. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't have a problem with pausing, but being very clear, as Jefferson was last week, that, you know, this is by no means should be interpreted as a terminal rate. And I would moreover emphasize that the risks are that they need to do more. So you're at kind of 525 on the top end of the range, and that's, that is arguably tight. Um and you, th this will induce the tightening that we talked about and maybe you're seeing, and that will hopefully start to slow things down. Um, but you need to be ready to move if the, if the inflation numbers aren't, aren't coming down. Like, I think we're looking for a pretty steep drop starting in the third quarter. Uh, and if that's not happening, then I think they need to do more. Will it come in July? I, I don't know, maybe 
I don't know what more data they're going to see between, you know, between now and July. Obviously, they'll get another inflation report. But, um, you know, I do think the bias is definitely for going more uh, and potentially, you know, a fair bit more. Uh, but I'm okay with them them pausing this week. It'll be interesting. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're giving them your blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't have a problem with them pausing e either, but I think we should. So they have the Casman blessing as well. They've had it for a while, but um, <laughs> you know, I think we should dissect the, the the motivation here. As I said, I don't think there's a, a necessarily a majority in the committee that actually wants to pause, but I think Powell does, and I think Powell does. Um, you don't think uh, there's a, a majority that wants to pause? Not necessarily. I think it's close. I think if you had a straight up and down vote and everybody could vote their conscious, I think you, um, you might go either way here. However, the chair does have by my, by in, in all cases, extra extra authority. And I think in this case, particularly strong authority, because I don't think a lot of the people in terms of their uh, convictions are necessarily that strong, given what you said a minute ago, there is this uncertainty around uh, financial stability, banking sector stress, and the like. Uh, I do think for Powell, there's been an important shift. I think Powell came into the year feeling his biggest concern was the history books and not being called Arthur Burns, and that made him one of the more hawkish members of the committee. And I think what happened with SVB, uh, and you could see it very dramatically from his congressional testimony to what happened at the FOMC meeting in March, is he shifted because he now owns a recession. If he does cause any serious problem right away, he gets really significantly uh, you know, put to task for that. And I think that is part of why he, he wants to pause right now. Uh, but I do think that has a timestamp associated with it. If you roll forward um, two, three months, if the banking sector stress doesn't spill out to broader financial conditions, if the economy is not doing uh, badly here, then I think we get then get back to the straight up and down read on the data, which we were talking about earlier. And as as we said, there is riskier that the economy could slide. But if it's not sliding and as inflation has been showing, it remains persistent. Then I think they I think they got to come back, and I think Powell will 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 rotate again back towards uh, uh, his uh, his hawkish anti Arthur Burns uh, self. He's right now got a balance between not being called Arthur Burns and not being called Jean Claude Trichet. So um, with that, um, you know, I think the other interesting thing about the meeting is, of course, he's going to be uh, delivering the hawkish uh, um, bias as they pause. Uh, that's going to be reflected in the statement. It's also going to be reflected in the dots where I think it's pretty clear that he can uh, get two or three members on the median to move up and, and push the, the median of the committee up to a, an extra hike uh, expected sometime later this year. I guess I, I think, you know, essentially he doesn't he doesn't want to make a mistake. Right. So that's why you don't want to be you know, you can put Burns and Triche on that. You don't want those were kind of mistakes. So you don't want to do that. I think the reason he's shifted over the past year is is largely because rates have shifted 525 basis points. So it's natural to or 500 basis points. It's yeah, natural but he was, to start to listen, pause here. Listen to him as in congressional testimony early March. He's talking about pushing the terminal rate up at least 50 basis points. Then three days later, SVB hits and they go to the March meeting and they don't do anything on the terminal rate. There's something that really shifted between early March and late March. And I think we know what that was and, and yeah. not, 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 not to be uh, But then what didn't you say is, is that making the point that 
with those risks now having faded that your bias does shift back to probably tush pushing that terminal rate up? Not yet. I don't think so. I think that's the point. Well, I think but, but you're saying that they're going to push their dots. Up. He, you're saying he's going to kind of bend some arms to push the dots up. I don't think that's how it works, but we could see dots move up. I think the language in the press conference will indicate that a bias to, to having to do more. You know, yeah. taking a little pause here kind of makes sense because you're at 525. Yep. Yeah. No, no problem. We both bless him for for doing that. <laughs> He's still a, he's still a New <laughs> Testament God, but we're giving him our blessing. Yeah. And uh, then we go to um, the ECB, which is perhaps somewhat less interesting in the dynamic next week because they've they've pretty much telegraphed they're going 25. The question well, not is only that they need to be moving. Right. And, uh, you know, inflation is just running higher. Wage inflation is 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 running hot and they just have more more work to do. To me, next week's call is is very clear cut for the ECB. The confusing part is more on the growth side for Euro area. Well, that's, I think, where the guidance gets interesting is they probably were feeling better about the growth picture a couple months ago. Now they've got more concern. The first quarter was rise down. The momentum in industry into the second quarter is, is weaker, even though the service side, I think, is still carrying uh, the economy forward here. Um, and they had they did for what it's worth have a better inflation reading the last reading although it's only one reading so you know the question is how much more do they want to signal uh, that they're going to do uh, I think it's relatively straightforward they're not going to signal they're done uh, we're forecasting only one more move after this meeting and that's the interesting question is whether that is going to be the point whether they will be ready to pause in the after the July. Uh, uh, meeting, but we'll we'll see there. I think the uh, the interesting other one here is the BOJ because we are actually expecting them to do something next week. Uh, in a world in which Japan looks to be firing on all cylinders, yeah, um, it's and it it does look like you're starting to see a more clear cut translation of uh, the uh, recovery uh, into inflation um, in a way that doesn't feel like it's going to roll back. Uh, that and not thing. only that, but just into just kind of broader macro leverage in the economy and right. financial leverage. Yeah. So that's a that's an interesting part of the story. Now, the BOJ is still sitting with a negative policy rate. Right. And, uh, uh, they, <laughs> we they, should be so surprised that leverage is picking up. Exactly. And they don't uh, I don't think they have been kind of guiding us towards anything changing soon. And I don't think we should expect anything to change soon. But here is, again, the risk assessment. And I think the risk assessment does start to shift, at least in the direction, we believe, of uh, moving a wider band and raising the, the midpoint to the YCC uh, levels next week. And that, that would be a significant shift. And we'll see if they're successful in what they're trying to do there, which is to uh, uh, have that happen without it translating into a early pricing of, of rate adjustments which we don't think is going to happen until sometime uh, spring of summer or of, of 2024. So yeah. it'd be interesting to see how that, that meeting plays out in a way that, um, you know, it's a totally different place than the Fed and the ECB at this stage. There, there's an interesting kind of backdrop that these three are operating in, which is we have a number of central banks that actually had paused and are starting to hike again, right? We're underscoring this point of pausing and then going. I mean, this week we had yep. Bank of Canada go. We were looking for them to go. We were out of consensus and they did hike 25. They restarted. Uh, you have the RBA in Australia, which 
hiked 25 against most people's expectations, including ours. We also, I believe, I think I saw we added hikes to the Norges Bank. Yep, I think so, that's I mean, right. That is the direction things are going. Now, those three banks have one thing in common, which are commodity prices. And maybe now that that's coming off, currencies are moving. There are inflation pressures of domestic demand from the income that came in through commodity prices. Maybe that's a different a different story for them, but I don't think it is. I think there is a common theme of just the broad global inflation backdrop that's probably pushing central banks to have to do more than what we are currently expecting. And I think you know, this gets down to this tension we have in our, our thinking about the world, which is we've been resisting the notion that expansions are fragile and that there's anything that's going to break in the near term. But we've also been emphasizing that it's going to be hard to get this thing to stay on its feet in a world in which inflation is high. And ev eventually central banks are going to break it one way or another. And the, the difficulty here is, is really, well, first of all, are we right that, that the inflation story is just not going to come down by itself? But then it's about the interaction of credit, central banks, the resiliency of the economy, and how those things kind of play out in, in the space of time, where time is is I think a very important part of the story in a world in which people have generally tried to compress the time frame into a very short um, uh, period. But it becomes interesting, especially in the context of what you mentioned about these smaller central banks, which you know look like they have more serious issues about monetary transmission through interest sensitivity, uh, making moves this week. Yeah, 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 and you know I, I, this idea of whether I'm mean, coming back to the Fed full circle. Will, will the Fed be able to kind of get the conviction to kind of break things if they have to? Will they make that switch from the New Testament to the Old Testament Fed? We, we, we think they will, but I, I will say this kind of, this kind of waffling of, of Powell from last year starting to say there will be pain in labor markets to at least at the last press conference saying that, ah, I think we can still generate a soft landing um, I, I, he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. Uh, I, I think when push comes to shove, they will be willing to break things. But a pause next week. Well, will time is a, time is the factor there. I think at some yeah, point, exactly. if they if they can't see the trajectory of inflation getting down below three percent by itself, they're going to have to start to recognize that there's no longer a a pandemic, inflation unwind. And that there is an embedded story that's starting to get bigger, and I have I have no doubt that when they get to that point, they will be willing to uh, break things. But I don't know how long it's going to take. The other thing, which I think is this is a bit of a um, of a small point, but it is going to be interesting next week because I think the Fed is going to have a, a a GDP forecast in the SCP that is going to be consistent with the economy being flat to down in the second half of the year. It is going to have an unemployment rate forecast that's going to be consistent with the unemployment rate breaking materially above 4% in the second half of the year. And they're going to tell us that their bias is to, is to be hiking, which is which yeah. is not easily uh, understood. And I think, uh, of course, we don't want to, as, as, as you try to impose consistency on me all the time, we don't want to do the same uh, to the Fed. But um, it is going to look somewhat um, odd. And I think... Um, that's something uh, that's going to be, you know, raised in questions. Okay, so one one last question. Our our favorite topic to to kibitz on is always the volatility week to week and uh, over a number of weeks on jobless claims. So we had a big move up this week. Uh, how worried should we be, Joe? How worried are you, Joe? So I think there are 
two points to kind of temper any worry. I mean, the, the first point, of course, is it's one week, so don't get too too crazy about one week. The second is there are some seasonal related issues. I know it's the last bastion of an economist and a scoundrel or seasonal factors, but you know, Memorial Day, end of school year type stuff, I think makes it a little bit difficult. Um, so if you temper it a little bit, that's that's important to note. But it's 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 worrying. I mean, I, you know, obviously, if claims are are moving up, uh, you know, I'm going to be concerned. And and it's now being kind of complemented by some of the flow data that we had in last week's payroll report. So you're seeing a little more consistency there, right? You have been kind of flagging these weird economics of just you know, kind of divergent indicators. Well, they're now telling the same story that there is a softening in the labor market that's taking place, and so I think. It's a concern. Uh, it's not if it stays there at what two hundred sixty thousand. Uh, two sixty one, I think it was two sixty one. That would be kind of more indicative of something breaking. Although right. I can hear you saying already, which is it's from a very low level, which is another one of your. No, but I've been saying that, and I still do. Yeah, and yeah. That's part of the weird anomics picture. That I think the the move up in claims that you had that got us into the two thirties once we revised out Massachusetts. Uh, is a big move in the in the context of business cycle swings, but I think it is a uh, an element of normalization from a labor market that was running super hot here. However, there's a limit to how far that goes without it starting to become a more significant signal. So, as we've been actually saying for pretty much the last year, there's some level of claims rise here which we think should absorb as part of that normalization. But I think something that breaks materially above 250 and stays there for um, uh, a, a decent period of time is a is a more serious concern. So we just did break through that. I've been using saying just to be kind of conservative here, say something in the 270s, if we get up there and we stay there, that's a, you know, that to me is a more tangible yeah. type of signal of, of not just softening, but but potentially out, outside weakness. We're not there. We made a step up, as you rightfully noted, it's one week and there's funky things around that that week but watch this space and yeah. then i think we could we could end end with that and uh, thank everybody for uh listening in and uh hope to continue the conversation next week on jp morgan tv